0: You are listening to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring you the best tactics, strategies, and actionable insights for change through our powerful interviews with change management practitioners and leaders. And now here's your host, Brian Gorman.
1: Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast. I am Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review, and this is the first-of-a-kind for us with three of the authors of a a first-of-a-kind book. So our guests today are, first of all, Ian Ziskin. Ian is president of Exec Excel Group, LLC, and has 40 years of experience as a business and human resources leader, board advisor and member, coach, consultant, entrepreneur, teacher, speaker, and author. His global business leadership experience includes 28 years in chief human resources officer and other senior leadership roles with three Fortune 100 corporations, Northrop Grumman, Quest Communications, and TRW. Ian has written or co-edited four books, including the focus of this podcast, The Secret Sauce for Leading Transformational Change. Along with Ian, we have Dr. Beth Banks-Cohen, president of ADRA Change Architects. Beth is an accomplished organizational consultant, senior executive coach, entrepreneur, and thought leader with more than 25 years of success in helping individuals and organizations use change as a strategic advantage. And we have Jennifer E. McEwen, PhD. Co founder of Lathos, the leadership impact company. Jan has a track record of over 20 years leading large scale organizational transformation. As an experienced coach and proven executive in Fortune 100 companies, she works with C level executives and teams to align leadership, culture, and strategy to improve organizational health and relationships. Welcome to each and all of you.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
1: So, Ian, we're going to start our conversation with you. Not only did you take the lead in writing The Secret Sauce, Ian, not only did you take the lead in writing The Secret Sauce, you brought together 25 members of the Consortium for Change to contribute essays. There are eight interviews with senior executives and change practitioners and a survey of more than 100 leaders and practitioners responding to the question, What is the single most important action or step a leader or organization can take to ensure successful and lasting transformational change? What led you to the idea of the secret sauce and to the high level of inclusivity that shaped it?
3: Well, it turns out, you know, the um, nuggets for starting the book began with um, the pandemic, COVID-19, in the, the 2020 and into 2021 period, uh, sitting there thinking about all of the really significant changes that were happening in the world around us, not only with COVID, but the impact on uh, economic uncertainty and uh, you know, kids not being able to be in school face-to-face, uh, companies being turned upside down in terms of almost overnight attempting to figure out how to have people work remotely. Uh, even some of the political division that was going on uh, at the same time around all of this, and I began thinking about uh, how is it that human beings uh, survive and possibly even thrive in times of transformational change? so that's what got me started on the process uh, and then uh, pretty quickly pivoted to you know is this something that I want to think about on my own or doing a more collaborative inclusive way, it didn't take long for me to figure out I wasn't really smart enough to do it on my own. uh, And that I had a bunch of colleagues around me who were very experienced people in dealing with large scale transformational change. Uh, And so we tried to capitalize on uh, the existence of this community that we have in place. As you mentioned, Brian uh, called the Consortium for Change. We're all members of it. Uh, and uh, I think very proudly, we've created this network of people uh, who have very different and unique perspectives to contribute. And uh, one of the outcomes for the book, for me personally, as the lead author, was to try to piece together a book that was not written through the single lens of one person's perspective, but had the benefit of... Uh, many, you know, in this case, a couple of hundred people's points of view who've contributed in a variety of different ways. And of course, Beth and Jen both represent, uh, you know, two of the many people who have contributed to the book uh, in their own unique uh, perspectives.
1: The essays in the book are organized based on their focus at the individual team or organizational level. Beth, your essay is engaging all three parts of the mind to achieve transformational change, buy-in, and success. It's the first essay in the individual section. What are the three parts of the mind that you refer to and why is engaging all three so important in transformation?
2: Well, the three parts of the mind are the cognitive part, the thinking part of our mind. That's where our IQ sits, our skills, our education, knowledge, experience. Then we have the affective part, the feeling part. That's where our motivations, our emotions, our values uh, all sit in that part. And then we have a third part of the mind, which we've known about since Aristotle, but which we don't know as much about, although it's a part of each of us. And that's the conative or the doing part of the mind. And that's where our instinct sits, our drive, our necessity, our mental energy, our natural talents. It all sits in that part of the mind. And when it comes to change, I think at an organizational level, we really underestimate the power of all three parts of the mind in how people change within an organization, right? And so um, most of the time, we might think about the cognitive because we say, oh, we're just going to tell them what the change is and why we're doing it or the affective, you know, we need to take into consideration sort of the motivations of people and and their values. Uh, But we rarely have ever think about this cognitive or doing part of the mind, that instinctive, where we get our instincts. And, uh, and so I think, I think also even in the other two parts of the mind, we underestimate that impact. So for example, in the cognitive part of the mind during that change, we do tell people, we know now we have to tell people what we're doing and why we're doing it. But we underestimate what people really need, which is they really need to be able to come to their own decision that the change that we're making is the right decision. And to, so we need to give them more information than just sort of that that knowledge of the what and the why. And so I, I think I think it's it's really important to remember that as we're implementing change because we can get a lot of resistance because people don't necessarily agree with the change and they don't understand your thought process and therefore... They they really really are going to resist. From an affective affective perspective, we really do need employees to believe in the change enough to uh, sacrifice for it. And so that sacrifice might be time. It might be uh, it might be personal energy. It might be the job as they know it. It might be a you know career moves. And uh, and we also we also underestimate that need for employees to believe in the change. we shortchange that. and we sort of we say, okay, well, we're g- we're going to bring them to a certain point. But then if they're not with us, we're just moving forward anyway. And I think that also gets organizations in a lot of trouble. And from a, a cognitive perspective, I think one of the things that we definitely underestimate, especially since the pandemic is, is this mental energy that people have that's really depleted. And if it's depleted, you really can't, go into that change wholeheartedly and giving it all of the you've got, which is what really we really need when we're trying to make an organizational change. And and employees really need to direct their personal time and energy to participate in the process. And if that mental energy is depleted and not allowed to to get replenished because people are working too much and there have too many other things going on in their lives, or there's too many changes that have already taken place in an organization, then, then we, we really cannot have the success that we're looking for uh, when we're implementing change. And so, so it's because of the three parts of the mind. If we forget one for sure, we're in trouble. And if we underestimate them and we don't really go far enough we also sometimes get ourselves in trouble from an organizational change perspective.
1: Several years ago, I did my first podcast as a guest for Change Management Review. And the message that I hit hard on at that point is all change is personal. These days, I'm going as far as saying organizational change management is a misnomer because we aren't managing organizations to change. We're managing people to change. And more and more, That's sort of the focus that I'm reading in the literature. We have to pay attention to the people. And that's one of the things that really stood out for me throughout The Secret Sauce. Jen, your essay, which is focused on the organizational level, is mindset in organizational transformation. You write, successful organizational transformation requires a mindset that all, emphasis, all people in the system are key to the transformation. The mindset you call for is based on three principles. Would you briefly describe what those are and why they're important?
0: Sure. Absolutely, Brian. And I love the alignment, Beth, with what you talked about. It's the mind. So this is mindset. The three principles are go wider, go farther, and go deeper. Sounds simple, right? It can be when you adopt a mindset that people and their relationships are key to transformation. So principle one, go wider. We talk in the book about engaging all people for success in any one area. So an example that I see often in organization transformation is we might tap into one group in order to influence something broader that we want to change or transform. We might look at the sales organization when we want to transform customer experience. Organizations often look to the human resources function or department to transform employee experience. And that's really limiting because when you go wider and understand the entire people experience, you really can align everyone towards what's wanted. The second principle: go farther. Is this is the idea of going beyond the job role or the external role that people play, so that they can contribute in a bigger way. Leaders tend to, as you've probably seen, tap the same people often based on how they performed a job in, in the past, and they've done it well, and so they sometimes get associated somewhat permanently with that outer job role, that external job role. And this can limit their contribution. When organizations can go farther and really understand things like beliefs that people have, their uh, values, what's important to them, their desires, their motivations, we can get so much more contribution. I'd love to say a lot more about this one, but I think that might come up later in the broad, in the podcast. So the, the third principle, go deeper. This is about embracing openness and curiosity, the magic antidotes for leadership, This is the way I see them, to create new possibilities. So in the book, I write about an organization who approached their customer relationships like this. Hey, we're selling something. It's only sold here. And of course, you want to buy it. This is a very transactional way of doing business, as we discovered through a lot of dialogue, and it was hindering them to really grow their their business, essentially, and their customer relationships. What they weren't doing is really sharing what I call in the book, the dream behind the sale. Similarly, in the transaction or the deal that was being brokered, the customer had some complaints and the organization wasn't trying to understand the customer's dream. Behind their complaint. And so, we all dream things up, right? This can be our hopes, fears, desires, concerns, or a future based on what we've experienced in our unique past. Dreaming is one of the three levels of reality that I mentioned in the book. And bottom line, to transform any relationship, it really helps to consider what level of reality people are interacting with, because this can be one of the biggest sources of conflict, And it offers invaluable insight for change.
1: One of the things that I'm I'm hearing there, Jen, and I just want to confirm this with you, we can't transform if we're just relating role to role. Mm -hmm. It's time to start relating person to person. That's right. The floor is open on this next question, folks. One of the themes that stood out for me over and over and over again, through the essays, through Ian's weaving of everything together, through the survey, through the interviews, is the the importance of trust and transformation. What are a few key leadership actions that help to build trust? And in what ways do leaders sometimes routinely undermine it?
2: For me,
3: the single most important element of trust is truth beginning with reality, helping to define for people at the individual level or the team level or the organizational level, and I suppose you could include the societal level as well, what reality we're actually living in, you know, to harken back to something that Jen mentioned a minute ago, because the the situation basically is what it is. We are where we are, and the quicker we understand and accept it, I think the higher the likelihood that we have a chance to change and address it. And so if you're a leader responsible for driving transformational change and you want people to trust you, I think they have to trust also in the circumstance that they find themselves in, which has to be defined by reality and and truth, not somebody's version or vision of what it is they would prefer it to be. To me, that's most important.
0: Yeah, I'll add to that, Ian, absolutely truth and I think hidden motives can erode trust. And sometimes I I believe as humans, we're not trying to conceal our motives. Like you said, Ian, we don't know what's behind it. Just let's talk in common terms, truth data, facts, and listen. So more importantly, I think you build trust by listening at various levels. You know, As coaches, we're trained to do this. There's what's being said, content, it could be facts, figures, the meaning of what's being said, and then maybe even what's not being said or wanting to be said. So just listening to people builds trust because it shows that, as you say, Brian, you are really relating to them as a person.
2: I totally agree with what you say, Jen, and also Ian, I think for me, the single biggest thing that a leader can do to build trust is to understand how trusted they are in the organization. And sometimes leaders are not trusted. So of course, my number one thing is be trustworthy, right? But besides that, like be aware of how trusted you are, because being aware of how trusted you are really, really affects how people take what you say during a transformational change. So if you're not overly trusted, then you stand up and you say something. Even if you're being really sincere, if people haven't trusted you because of things you've done in the past, people are not going to trust what you're saying. And if you're aware of that, then you can go into that conversation differently than if you are unaware of it and you just think everybody trusts you. And so for me, it's that it's really being aware of, sort of what your trust level is in the organization, how people have viewed your trustworthiness before and then during.
1: We've mentioned relationship a couple of times already in this podcast. How do you build the relationships that you need to successfully achieve transformation?
0: Brian, I I think of the role we play. We talked about this a little bit already. One of the ways to build a relationship is to go deeper beyond the formal role, the outer role of the job and look at inner roles. So examples of inner roles, and they often come in opposites, are like peacemaker. Maybe I grew up in a family that likes to not rock the boat. I tend to play the role of peacemaker. That's based on something that's important to me. Or I'm a disturber or a challenger in the system. I ask lots of questions or I'm a nurturer. So when we look at those deeper influences like the foundation of a house you're not going to build a house when you don't know what the foundation is those deeper influences really help us understand people their personality their style preferences their motivations desires and the these roles the fascinating thing about inner roles is we don't get assigned those roles we voluntarily occupy them and so if they aren't needed in a system in an organization you can vacate them. And an example I, I think of in my personal life is my role. Jen always cooks dinner at home. <laughs> so, you know, the the problem with that, just to use that as an example, is I can suffer role nausea if I'm always the one making dinner. So I might try an inner role swap. And I don't think that's going to work tonight, but <laughs> I might try that over time. So in organizations, you know, we we can have the kind of dialogue between people to say, what are you playing? What's the motivation? And maybe I don't have to always play that role. It's telling, and it gives you the insight into who I am. And I can expand and develop and grow by trying on new, one, new roles and, and swapping.
2: I think for me, you really, you build those relationships one person at a time, and you also build them by association one person at a time, right? Because It's impossible for the CEO of a 10,000-employee company to have a relationship with each and every person, but they can have relationships that then ripple out into the organization that are representative of having a relationship with the CEO. And I think, in many ways, the culture plays a huge role in that. A long time ago, when I did my dissertation, I did it on the role of organizational culture and individual decision making. And one of the things that I found was that people really paid attention to what leaders did and leaders said. Even if they didn't have a personal relationship with them, they still really paid attention and created a personal relationship through the actions that that leader was taking as it related to the culture. I think that's a way for leaders to create those relationships that are so important during a change, but it's also a big responsibility. And I have found in my work with leaders is sometimes they don't want that responsibility, right? It's too, it's too big for them. And, uh, and what I, what I try to help them understand is, is that if you take on a big role, you have a big responsibility around that role to be a leader in public and in private. I think there are plenty of leaders in the world that struggle with that and plenty that don't. But I think it's really important to have that that alignment between your public and your private uh, persona because people see both sides of that in you.
3: I can build on what we've been talking about for just a minute. Uh, One of the big ahas for me personally as the lead author putting this book together was on this question of leaders versus leadership roles versus relationships Uh, and here's what i mean by that leaders i think are really important to driving transformational change but leadership is much more important and you can demonstrate leadership at any level irrespective of what your job title says you are or what the organization chart says you are or where you sit in the organization so I think as important as leaders are in, in setting an example, and I, I know we'll talk more about that, it turns out that people at, at every level and in every role can be influencers in a positive way to help set the tone for the, the change that the organization is trying to, to drive. There also are people who can be resistors to the change, who can be, and, and generally often are, very influential in the organization, irrespective of their job title. They may be an individual contributor, nine layers down in the organization, but people pay attention to what they think. They listen to those people because they have high credibility uh, and they follow their lead in terms of should people, you know, enthusiastically embrace the change that's being proposed or not. And so I often think, you know, as we talk about in the book, in several different ways, ignore the organization chart, because that only tells you a very limited story about who's in charge of making this change happen uh, and pay a lot more attention to the individuals and the relationships that they have with one another for helping to influence large-scale transformational change, because they matter actually a lot more than what somebody's job title says and whether or not they're in a quote-unquote leader position.
0: Ian, what I love about you mentioned resistors, I always like to think resistors are merely people who want something else. So it's something else is wanted. And like you're saying, pay pay attention to people and, and understand what else is wanted.
1: And I'm going to pick up on your comment on the organizational chart because I just finished reading another book in which the author states very clearly that the organization is nothing more than a structure of rules on how we should communicate and to whom. And it doesn't really work that way. What did you learn from the survey question? What is the single most important action or step a leader or organization can take to ensure successful and lasting transformational change?
3: It turned out to be a great exercise in generating diverse and sometimes divergent points of view. But there were three big themes that popped out pretty clearly as I was going through it. So I'll, I'll touch on all three quickly, and then I'll embellish each one just a, a, a little bit. Uh, the three themes were go first, but not alone. That was the first one. The second one was define, align, and refine the what and why. And the final one uh, I ended up calling Energize the Village. And um, just to touch a little bit more detail on each one, Go First But Not Alone was really all about transform yourself first before trying to change other people, in other words, uh, you know, be a good role model and lead by example, which we, you know, just been talking about. But there's also this other element of, as important as leaders are in leading transformational change, the best, most successful transformational change leaders travel in packs. In other words, they surround themselves with really good, capable others, not only on their immediate team but more broadly in the organization. So, that they're not alone in trying to make transformational change happen. That was a really important outcome, I think, from the survey. The second one on this theme of define the line and refine uh, the what and why was, uh, as you might expect, it came through loud and clear that it was really important to be able to set the vision for the organization to achieve some level of mission clarity. You know, what is it that we're trying to change and, and why but that you also had to kind of get aligned uh, along the way by measuring success, you know, and defining what success looked like and then holding people accountable for actually delivering against that definition of success all along the way, you had to be comfortable with being flexible enough to learn from your experience and adjust course, you know, so there was a certain amount of uh, agility, if you will, and, and flexibility required. And then the third and final theme that really came through loud and clear in the survey was uh, what I ended up describing as energized the village, which is, you know, leading Uh, Large scale transformational change is hard and it's also scary sometimes. So it's really important to counterbalance that with creating a sense of excitement and engagement and even fun, you know, about what the possibilities could be uh, if we get to where we're going. Partly required in doing that is cultivating this sense of ownership, right? It's not just me as the leader that's trying to make this change happen, but it's all of us who are participating in it and benefiting from it. So to a certain extent, you're trying to turn the, the change plan into a movement you know that involves a lot of other people who are engaged and energized about what we're trying to achieve. Those were really the three big buckets of things that came through loud and clear in the survey.
1: And what's the sacred sauce?
3: <laughs> well, you know, probably in the in the time that we've got today, uh, couldn't get into great depth on each one. There's 10. Uh, that we talk about in the book that kind of pull together uh, some of the major themes that uh, we've been talking about and several things we haven't talked about. I'm going to just share with you a a couple of things that maybe build on, reinforce, or or address certain things that didn't come up uh, in the conversation so far. One of them uh, that I want to just go back to because we were talking about it a few minutes ago was the concept of uh, love Influencers and resistors, uh, and, and showing kind of an equal degree of respect for and affection for those people, because you can find change leaders at every level of the organization. Again, as we were saying a few minutes ago, irrespective of your your job title or whether somebody calls you a leader or you call yourself a leader, it also turns out that the resistors are really important they play a really important role here because as skeptics they are kind of the truth seekers you know they want to know whether or not the change that's being proposed is real is it necessary is it being approached in the in the right way and so you know it's okay for them to ask questions and push back in fact, I would argue it's even more than okay. It's necessary, you know. That has to be encouraged and not discouraged, uh, and that's a really important part of the the secret sauce that I think we've been we've been discussing. Last point I'll make, and then see if if Jen and Beth want to jump in on any of this is this importance of if you're going to have a secret sauce, you have to constantly taste test. You know, in other words that you could easily be lulled into a false sense of security that whatever success we've had in the past as an individual or as a team or uh, as an organization it's going to last forever Uh, we want to promote and preserve continuity and tradition but not really we really want to promote success and results Uh, and so sometimes that requires that you taste test things take nothing for granted Uh, you do a little bit of revisiting and reimagining and reinventing, you know, what the ingredients are in the secret sauce, because the conditions around us have changed, therefore, the ingredients in the secret sauce for transformational change also need to continue to get uh, reconsidered and and thought about in in a different way. Uh, Those are a couple of the elements of the secret sauce that I really wanted to underscore for purposes of our discussion here.
2: I really like what you said, Ian, about uh, about resistors. I think it's always really critical during a change for me, sort of the things that I've taken from the book and from my own experiences. There's really three important things, clarity, alignment, and courage. And I think the clarity is, you know, always being really clear about what's changing, but also what's not changing. Always doing that alignment. And, and that's where sort of the... You know, really redefine. You know, defining, redefining. You know, reclarifying, making sure that everyone's always on the same page. And then I, I think, really the courage, uh, as we say in the book, the courage to service and discuss what isn't working. And that's really where the resistors come in. And realizing that resistance comes from lots of different places, and it's not you can't just say. Oh, that person's a resistor. I mean, it goes a lot deeper than that, but you can certainly say, oh, that person has something to say that isn't in line with what I was thinking. I need to find out more about that. And I think that's what you've been talking about, Ian, as well, and Jen, as well. Yeah. One of the points that
0: we make in in the secret sauce and the ingredients is, and, and it seems obvious, but know where you came from and where you're going. From what to what? And that sounds very basic, right? In change management, the power of that is in, you know, distinguishing change from transformation. So when we look at transformation, we're trying to create something that's not been, it's never going to be able to go back to its original state. It's entirely new, whereas change actually technically could. And we think of something's not working or something needs to be improved and that's take the past, make it better. And that's change. The power in this is, really honoring the past. And I've found this in organizations. When I come in and work with them, doing that goes a million miles to getting so many people aligned and really leaning courageously, to use your word, but courageously into the transformation. So really just knowing from what to what and really getting people to add to that, what they've known and where they want to go.
1: I want to thank all three of you. This has really been informative and um, look forward to the release for sale of The Secret Sauce on June 1st. Thank you, Ian, Beth, and
0: Jen. Thank you, Brian.
1: Thank you, Brian.
3: Appreciate being here.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review Podcast. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.